Good morning, everybody. Hope that you're having a good Labor Day weekend and you're not doing too much labor. Obviously, we've got uh, a few people that are not here with us uh, today. They're out doing what you do on Labor Day. No labor, hopefully. Right? Well, it's good to see all of you today. Uh, We're having a special service. And for those of you watching online uh, or listening later, uh, I want to welcome you too. And today, as you saw uh, on the screen, we are going to be doing a, a lesson entitled Trading Up. And, you know, in the Christian life, there are a lot of benefits, a ton of benefits. In fact, just this morning, we were going through with the teachers of your children, going through in the, in the lesson, how many of you have received benefits from being a Christian, from being a part of our church? Yeah, I mean, and then we went through literally, what are some of the things? And, and here's some of the things that, that came up, you know, marriage, family, uh, all these things, I don't know where I would be if, if, if I hadn't gotten to know and gotten close to Jesus. Uh, and we talk so much about the benefits and we teach so much about the practical teaching of the benefits that, you know, we can get to be known or be thought of as the self-help church. You know, that everything is about uh, helping us. You know, but in my mind, God loves us, right? He loves us. Jesus loves us. And so, therefore, he'd like to help you. I don't know if somebody who knows how to turn the house lights on, because I want to see your faces. If someone uh, could go uh, in there and turn on the house lights for me, that would be great. Who knows how to do it? Thank you, Rick. But God, God wants to help each and every one of us. And you know what another name for the Holy Spirit is? Anybody have any idea? It's called the Helper. In one of the versions of the Bible, uh, in John chapter 14, verse 16, he says, Then I will send, when I go, I'm going to send who? The Helper, which is the Holy Spirit. And, you know, this isn't self-help. We believe that God has, has spoken to us through His Word, and He wants to help us. And He's spoken into how our lives work best. And He designed us, He made us, He knows how things work. And, you know, here's, here's God saying, listen, I know how, how relationships work. I made them up. I know how finances work. I made them up. I know how the economy works. I made it up. I know how morality works. I made it up. And guess what? Pay attention. Even God invented sex. He knows how it works not supposed to say that word in church in some people's mind. But, hey, God, God taught us everything we need to know to have a great life. And He wants to help us. So we need to pay attention to what He's teaching. And so there's tremendous benefits to being a follower of God and being in, his, in a relationship with Him. And if you're a Christian at some point in time, you're going to come to realize that it's going to get hard. I know for a lot of us, you know, if you're a baby Christian, I remember the first year uh, of my Christian life, it was great. Everything was great. It's like being in Disneyland all the time. You know, everything was great. Church was great. Relationships were great. But then about at the year mark, I realized, man, this is getting hard. You know, I have benefited, but I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. And, And at some point you realize... You, you see that you're going to need to give up something. Something's going to need to change in your life drastically. And I changed a lot. Trust me. 
There were a lot of changes that I made. But then it was at a deeper level that I had to give something up, that it was going to cost me something. And, and for each one of us, that's what we're going to talk about today, is the trade, trading up. And, and Jesus speaks very clearly into this. And it may come in the form of, you know, a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Hey, this isn't right in your life. And if you're paying attention, you'll listen and you'll make those changes. But sometimes it comes in the form of a relationship, somebody who's close to you and says, hey, brother, sister, hey, friend, we, we need to talk. You and I need to talk because I see some needs in your life. And I'm telling you because I care about you. And I want to help you. And I believe these things are hurting you and hurting your relationship and hurting you most of all your relationship with God. I've had many of those talks with people and they've had them with me. And, you know, it's really a test at that point how willing you are to follow Jesus. And it's really a test of how humble you are. Because I know some of these conversations that have been had and I some of these nudges and maybe some of these pushes and maybe some of these strong times of talking, and people don't respond very well. Well, who are you to tell me this? And what right do you have to, to get involved in my life? And you go, whoa. You know, that, that's not really the answer. What do you see there in that kind of reaction? Is that humility? No, it's not. And God can't do very much with us when we're not humble. We talked about that on Wednesday night. Well, who does God lift up? Who does God bless even more? The humble. And today's going to be a test for you. How humble are you? How willing are you to trade up? And it's an amazing teaching we're going to look at today. And, you know, along the line, and I, I admit, you know, when I first came around and I first started, started following Jesus, guess what I was? A consumer. I was a consumer. Hey, guess what? I was here to get something. I was here to learn something. I was here to get better at living life for God. And so most of my focus was on what? Consuming. But there comes a point in time where Jesus is going to call you to leave your life of consuming only and start focusing on following. Following. And there's a big difference. See, because following means it's not all about me anymore. Now it's going to mean about God and others. And it's going to be hard sometimes. And it's going to be challenging. And, you know, for those of you who are visiting with us here today, we do Bible studies with people when they want to know more about our church. And we talk to them, we teach them, we show them in the Scriptures the plan that Jesus has, the plan that God has for their lives. You know, and most of it's awesome. But then at the end, we sit down and we look at a study called Counting the Cost. And that's where we talk about the future. When you're no longer going to be a consumer, but you're going to be a follower. And what that follower means is I'm going to have to give up something. It's going to cost me. It's going to be something that I may not feel in my nature that I want to do, that I want to go along with. And so, what is a consumer? A consumer is this. Wow, look at all these cool teachings that the Bible has to offer. You know, this has really changed my marriage. You know, I heard that this morning from the teachers. 
you know, one brother shared and, and a sister, they're, they're married. They say, you know what? We're celebrating our 10th anniversary. And I can't imagine what it would be like had we not had these teachings and the people around us that we have. Tremendous benefit. Uh, it's changed my marriage. It's changed my family. It's changed my relationships. It's even helped me with my finances. Because I used to be scattered. I used to not manage my money well. And the Bible has taught me how to manage my money well. There's so many things that the Bible has helped my life with. You see, and, and this is normal. When you first get acquainted with the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus knew this. He understood this. Look at what, look at what he shared with his audience. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Look at what he said here. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And guess who? You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, I wish this were the only verse in the Bible. Don't you? Man, it's an awesome verse. You go, man, Jesus is here to help who? Me. Okay, he's saying you, I'm going to help you. And you know, whatever you're carrying in here today, whatever you're carrying in this past week, guess what he's going to do with that burden? He's going to unpack it. He's going to make it light. How wouldn't you like that? Isn't that awesome? You know, and Jesus, Jesus literally, you know what he did for people? He fed people. You know, would you imagine, would you come to church if every time you came to church you got an awesome meal at, at the end of the lesson? You know, if they just had a spread, a buffet, all included. Wouldn't that be awesome? You'd show up, right? All your friends would show up. They could teach anything that they wanted. They could preach anything they wanted. Because I'm just here for the buffet. You know, they got Filipino food. They, they, got, they got barbecue. They, they got steak, chicken. Oh, if you're a vegetarian, they got an awesome salad bar. <laughs> Tofu, all that. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's kind of what Jesus is rolling out here. He's saying, listen, come to me. I will help you. And he taught that. You know what else Jesus did for people? He healed them. If you came sick, I mean, how many people would come to church if they had cancer, the flu, whatever it is, whatever it is, he healed them. I mean, he resurrected dead people. And so Jesus was giving it out. He was giving benefit to many people. And that was one of his, his entry-level messages is, I want you to benefit from me being here. And there's a part of that that's true, right? But something happens. And Jesus understood consumerism. Maybe you didn't know that's a word. He understood that you and I love to consume. In fact, our economy here in the United States is built on what? Oh, man, it's built on consumerism. And if we stop consuming, guess what would happen to our economy? Remember 9-11? Well, we, almost, we almost, you know, shipwreck because people stopped consuming. Everything around us. And Jesus understood that. And just like in this times now, and during Jesus' times, people were followers and they were consumers. But today in our church, guess what? We've got both. We've got people here who are consumers. And we've got people here who are 
followers. And, you know, today we're going to look at how we, you and I, can reach a certain point, and we need to reach a certain point, because it is Jesus' plan. This isn't our plan in the Lighthouse Church. What we're going to be talking about today is Jesus' plan. It's His plan for your life, for my life, for our life. And He understood that it was going to cost us something. And He loves you, He He wants to bless you, but it's going to cost you. And there needs to be that transition where we get that. And we understand this. Jesus is my Savior. But also, Jesus is my Lord. Meaning at some point, I'm going to have to leave being a consumer and I'm going to have to be a follower. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that talks about that transition. And this is a huge point for us today in our church. And Jesus' teaching on this was all about this. It's extremely, extremely profound. You're going to be looking at your whole life today from beginning to end and then after it's over. And it's going to bring us to a point of decision. And that's my goal today is I want to bring you to a point of decision. Even if you're visiting here with us today, I want you to weigh in on what we're going to talk about. Because it's extremely important. This may be the most important lesson we give this whole year. You know, last week was awesome. Three months ago was awesome. But today may be the pivotal point for your and our life and the future of our church. Why? Because we're not going to talk about here and now. We're going to talk about your eternity and where you will spend it. That's pretty intense. And you know what our problem is? We're so busy, we don't take time to think about it. We've got, we got one day, maybe one week in front of us, and that's all we're thinking about. And Jesus said, listen, I came here to help you weigh in on your eternity. Because it's important. In fact, your life here on earth is going to be a drop in an ocean compared to your eternity. And so today we're going to weigh in on that. His word's illuminating. It's awesome because you're going to realize, you know, whatever is hard, it really isn't that hard. It's going to open our eyes. And what seems to be a huge price to follow Jesus, when you understand his word, it's worth that trade. It's a no-brainer. It's easy because you go, what's at stake here? And so today I'm going to ask you to consider a trade. What you have for what you can have. And Jesus is going to weigh in on that. Understand this. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. You can't buy it. You can't do enough for it. It's a gift from God. But following Jesus, it will cost you something. Following Jesus Christ, it will cost you something. And guess what? It's different for each one of us. Even among the apostles, it was different for each one of that. And we're going to get a chance to weigh in on one of them today. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. But following Jesus Christ, it'll cost you something. And I hope that today you can walk out of here thinking about that and weighing in on that big question. The interesting thing is, whatever you give, whatever it costs you, 
there's no return on the price you pay. You can't go back and, you know, to the return and exchange line and go, I'd like a return. No, there's no returns or exchanges. No 90 day guarantee. No right of refusal. Whatever you give, whatever you do, it's going to stay with God. And there's no return. In that moment, when you're giving your life, when you're offering it over to God, you're going to learn something very interesting about yourself. In fact, today I think you're going to learn something about yourself that you never realized about you. And so I hope you're excited. So today we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, Most scholars agree that the Gospel of Mark of the four, it's the oldest. It has the title Mark because Mark wrote it. He had a Greek background and he was very close to the Apostle Peter. So all the information that he got about Jesus, guess who he got it from? Peter. It's interesting because we're going to look at Peter's life today. And we're going to see how he reached that point of decision. The trade-off. Look at Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles or turn your Bible on or click it on. If you don't, they're going to be up on the screen. But, you know, it's always good to have a Bible because you need to make sure that what I have on the screen is what's in your Bible. Occasionally I get verses wrong. You know, and I could go in there and change the words around. Right? I wouldn't do that, but you never know. You better be sure. This is that important. You better be sure what's there is written in the Bible. In verse 27, he said, Jesus and his disciples went into the village, went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do the people say I am? They replied, say some, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. Now, I wouldn't suggest you do this at work, you know, and, and go in and work and say, hey, who, who does everybody here at work say who I am? Uh, don't do that. Jesus can do that. You don't need to do that. Verse 29. But what about you? He turned the question back on the apostles. What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone. And so here's, here's Jesus asking them, and then he puts the question right back on the apostles. And their answer, you know, was some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. At that time, they believed in reincarnation or resurrection, that people would come back from the dead. But they put the question to Peter, and he asked Peter, and Peter got it right. You know, the bell sounded. The alarm went off. You're a winner, Peter. Messiah means Christ. He means you're the chosen one. You're the anointed one. You're the one, Peter said, that I heard about when I was a little boy. The one who was to come. And for the, for the Jews, this is the most exciting time, if you believe this, that any Jew could expect, the coming of the Messiah. But after Jesus got it right, what did Jesus tell him, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody, shh, not yet. Peter, you got it right, shh, wait. And, and for you and I, this is, this is intense. Verse 31, he goes on and he talks about this. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man may suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that 
He must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. A little word of advice. Don't rebuke the Lord. But you know what I love about this verse is the rapport that Jesus had with his disciples. He didn't set himself up on a pedestal. He created a relationship so that even if you were crazy enough, he rebuked the Lord. Let me tell you why Peter did this. Peter did this because things were going awesome. They were healing people. And for the apostles, for the twelve, they were rock stars. Wherever they went, they walked in and people would come from all over. Jesus leading the way. And guess who's right by his side? His homies. His posse. His crew. They're right there with him. And they're saying, Jesus, Jesus, why are you going negative? Everything's going so well right now. I mean, you've given us the power to heal people. We're doing miracles in your name. Why are you going negative? Things are going so well. You know, we came from the farmland. We were fishermen before. Now we're rock stars. People didn't know our name. Now they know who we are. Why do we want to bring that to an end? You know, Jesus, don't go negative. Don't go negative. And so he rebukes the Lord. And we read on. In verse 33. Here's where it gets messy. But then when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he did a one take at them and then he turned back to Peter and he rebuked Peter. Now, who got the rebuke? You rebuked the Lord. You know, watch out. You could get rebuked. And he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Wow, that's strong. You don't get any stronger. You call someone Satan. That's like that's the worst. You can't say anything worse than about that. That's as bad as it gets. This is his right-hand guy. And he calls him Satan. And look what he says. This is important right here. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter. Peter, whose agenda are you in this for? Who are you thinking about, Peter? Peter. Peter, you're a consumer. Peter, you're a user. You're here for you. You're thinking about your needs, your agenda, your plan. That's the way men think. And the word literally Satan means adversary or enemy. And so he's calling him out. And he's ousting his 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 close one of his closest disciples. That's intense, but why? And in this moment, you can understand, later on, he calls the crowd together and he realizes, you know, people are shocked. He just called Peter Satan. How can you be his follower? And then he's Satan. And and they were shocked. They're like, whoa, what is this? He went off on Peter and so Jesus looks at everybody's shocked face and their shocked expression, and he goes, I've got to do some teaching here. This is a teaching moment. I've got to, I've got to help them understand what, what's, at, what's at play here. And guess what? You and I have that same need today. We need this teaching that we're going to get right now. And, you know, 
You can't blame Peter for being a consumer. And, and you know, while the crowd was assembling, maybe, maybe Jesus pulled Peter aside and said, listen, I, I get what you're doing. I, I understand why you said what you said and why you're reacting the way you're reacting. I got you in this. I baited you, Peter. What were you going to say when I told you that day to go and put out into deep waters for a catch? And your nets almost broke and it almost sank your boat. Were you going to walk away from me after that? Of course, I set you up, Peter. You had to follow me, you and your friends, because you guys saw what it means to follow me. And up until this point, Peter, yes, it's been a great benefit to you. But Peter, right now we've got to step it up. Right now, Peter, we're here and we've got to go here because it's about to get hard. So things are coming down the road here. And so he's calling Peter and the rest of his disciples and the crowd to a decision. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said this. Peter, and you know, it's that sidebar conversation. You're with me, but you're still a consumer. It's not in your Bible yet, but you're still a consumer. I understand that because that's, that's what I got you into. This is what I did. And when people come to Jesus, I'm going to explain something to you that happens. When people come to Jesus, there's a process that happens. We all come to Jesus because we're what? We're consumers. And we benefit 100% from following Jesus. Why? You know how I came? I came because I realized my life is a complete wreck and I'm going in the wrong direction. If I keep going down this road, I'm going to make a huge mess of my life. I will be divorced. I will estrange my children. And who knows how long I'm going to live. And I'm going to have bad relationships with my families and my friends. I realize that. And so I came to Jesus, hey, I need some help. I need to study your word. Guess what my agenda was when I came to study the Bible? Benefit. 100%. I came in consuming, thinking. And then, as you transition, you get a little older, you become a convenient Christian. Okay? And this is, where, and this is what I did, you know. You, you consume, but guess what? You give a little. I'd write a check. I'd serve. A few months after I became a Christian, I started to serve. I was a, uh, one of the ushering team uh, coordinators, and I started to serve on Sunday. I got here real early for church, you know, and started serving. And I'd do the count team, and we'd pass the trays, and, 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 you know, I started serving. And then I started, a few months later, started leading a small group. So I was, I was giving, I was serving but whenever it came with challenge, it was based on my convenience. You know, what's a half hour early to church? What's this? What's that? I can, I can stretch that. You know, 10% of my, my income, that's not a lot. In fact, you know, God's been good to me. Hey, I give a little bit. Helps the church. I'm cool with that. I really want the church to do well. I'm glad for this place that we meet in. So I'll write a check. Convenient Christian. But then there comes a time where we need to move from benefactor to convenient Christian to being a all-in follower. 
And I want to show you this process here. I've got, so you see the visual. I'm a visual type of person, and I want you to see the visuals. Okay? Got our three buckets right here. Okay? And this is Jesus' plan. This isn't our plan in the church. This is Jesus' plan for us in our Christian life. And this is you and I. We start out in this bucket here, each and every one of us. We start out. We're consumers. Jesus' plan for our lives is to move us from this bucket over here to this bucket. To where we're, and he understands, that's what Peter was doing. He was a convenient Christian, convenient disciple. And so we're all moving over here, right? But then there comes a point in time, ooh, we don't want to lose anyone. Okay, let's just all get in the bucket. Okay, let's all get in the bucket here. Okay, there's one more. He's holding out. She's holding out. Okay, so we're, we're all here now. Okay, we're convenient Christians. Eventually, where Jesus wants to take us, and this is what we're going to look at in our study. He wants to take us from here to here. And in this place over here, we're followers. And we're willing to give our whole life to Jesus. And we're not expecting anything in return. We're not waiting for a benefit. Because we believe this so much. We're all in with Jesus. Mike talked about this a couple of weeks. That's what this is. And this is where Peter was. This is what came out. This is what he learned about himself. Peter, you're a user. You're a consumer. A convenient one. Now, Peter was dedicated. He left his family and he was on the road with Jesus. He was taking notes during Jesus' sermons. He wasn't just somebody that was, you know, off to the side, but he learned this about himself. When it comes to giving your life and something hard, uh-uh, I'm not going here because I don't know where this is going to go. And so today, I want you to think about where, where are you on this scale? Where are you on this bucket list? And Jesus helps us as we grow and mature. And Jesus, the purpose of our lives is to move from the red bucket to the green bucket. And this isn't just a few people. And I want you to know, if you're here visiting with us today, this is Jesus's, this is where he would like you eventually in your life. Now, i got to confess, I've been here and I've moved back to here. I've done it. I've, I've moved back and forth. See, because... You want things convenient. It's our nature. You know, it's our nature. It's our inherent nature to self-protect, to hedge, to back off. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is too much, too painful. I'm tired. My schedule's a little rough. Or we get other priorities, you know, and we want to have other endeavors. And we understand that. But let's look at this passage. Jesus goes on to teaching. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. So what does that mean? A disciple isn't a consumer. Somebody who's a disciple isn't a consumer. What the word means is he's not a consumer and a user, but he's a person who says, where you go, I go. 
So in the frame and the context of what Jesus was saying was, I'm going and I'm going to die for God's cause. And what Peter understood is, I'm your disciple, so if you're going, Jesus, guess where? I'm going. That was the pushback. That's why he wouldn't go here, because he realized if I go here, I'm going to have to give my life. And it may not be pleasant. And this whole idea of, you know, being a disciple means you follow. You follow Jesus. Then he goes on and he goes, whoever wants to be to my disciple must do what? Deny himself. He must deny himself. What does that mean? What does it mean to deny yourself? To deny yourself means to say no to you. To say no to you and yes to me. In other words, Jesus. There's going to come a point in time where you're, you're, going, to, you're going to want to say no. But you're going to need to say yes. Why? Because the Lord is calling you down that road. And parents get this, right? You understand this. There are many times in the life of a parent where you come home and you're like, gosh, I'm exhausted. But I need to spend some time with my kids. Or I need to go to the store to get medicine because Johnny or Susie's sick and they need medicine in the middle of the night. Even young mothers stay up all night. There's no way your body is saying yes to that. Okay? You're saying no, no, no. Okay? But you've got to say no to yourself and say yes to what is necessary in that moment. That's what Jesus is saying here. That means to deny yourself. It's to look at, the, look at yourself in the mirror and say, no, I'm not doing what you want. I'm doing what he wants. That's what it means. And we move on. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is jewelry for us. This is a wall hanging. It's a romantic story. Yes, you know, Jesus died on the cross for me. For the Jews, this was horrifying. There's no question whether they had an experience, a personal experience, where they walked into Jerusalem and guess what was just outside the gate on the road, and they purposefully put crosses in places where people walking into the city could see those crosses. And guess who was hanging on those crosses? Dead bodies. For a Jew, at that time, this was scary. You think Jesus, Jesus was negative before about what he was going to have to go through? Now he's going even more negative. And he's saying, yes, I'm going to give my life. And guess what you're going to have to do if you want to follow me? You're going to have to be willing to give your life, if not literally, figuratively. And for the Jews, this was, this was, this was intense. You know, just last week I was, I was doing a, a Bible study in the book of Esther, and they talked about this word being impaled, that they would impale someone. So, so what is that? What is impaled? So I, I look in the dictionary and I'm looking online. What does impaled mean? Impaled means they basically stick a long pole up through you and you're hanging on a pole. And I was like, oh, that's what they would do in the old days to enemies of the state, enemies of the king. 
You know, I was like, wow, that's pretty drastic. Then, you know, as you're online, you get to see pictures. And when I saw a picture of someone impaled, I was horrified. See, that's what they felt with Jesus. They didn't need to go, wow, that, that. No, this was horrifying. Because this is what the Romans would do to somebody who tried to bring out a rep uprising. And see, he wanted them to understand beforehand. Very rarely, there's probably no risk whatsoever in this country that we would be hung on a cross for what we believe. But then, yes, it was real. And it was horrifying. So everybody's in shock. I mean, just imagine, you're sitting there, you're in the sermon, you're going, uh, I think I'm going to leave now. i got to go, you know, it's, it's late. Really, I got my kids, some, you know, I, I got to be somewhere, work, whatever. I'm gone. But hang on a minute. Jesus has got something to tell you. People were stunned at this teaching. But look at what he says here in verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life, that'd be me. Anybody here want to save their life? Think about that. Hint, it's all of us. Every single one of us. Why do you go get a physical at the doctor? Why do you know your doctor's name? I, I know my former doctor and I know my doctor now. Why are they so important people to us? Because they're your lifesavers. You know, why do you spend so much time on the treadmill sweating? You know, exercising, running. Why would you run? You know? Just walk to wherever you're going. And some of us, we get in the gym and we just sweat. And we just like, oh, and we, you know, we just beat our bodies. Why do you do that? Why do you go to all that trouble? Dieting. You know, you get, to, you get awesome food. There's awesome food everywhere around here. And you say, no, I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to have a salad. Okay? What would you like to drink, sir? And your mind is saying, man, I want that strawberry lemonade. They say, water, please. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you go to the doctor? Because you're trying to save yourself. Why do you wear your seatbelt? Because you're trying to save yourself. They make you. <laughs> but once you've seen a couple car accidents, you know, when I was in high school, they'd have those, those driver's ed videos. And they didn't, you know, there was imagery then, at least when I was in school, there was hardline imagery. They would show people thrown from car, click, and you go, let me put the seatbelt on. Right? Why do you do that? So Jesus is telling us here something about ourselves. Every single one of us want to save ourselves. Right? Okay, but guess what? Whatever you're trying to save... Whatever you're trying to hold on to, you're going to lose it. Do you know that neurosurgeons and doctors die? Do you know that the, 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 the nutritional experts, the people that they got like 3% body fat, they're the, the most healthy, they wouldn't eat a shred of fried anything. They're just like so in shape, so unhealthy, so good. 
they're going to die. Every single person is going to die. So whatever you're holding on to, guess what? And Jesus knows this about us. Whatever you're trying to save, eventually you're going to lose it. You're not going to keep it forever. Oh, well, I'm young. Young people die too. Everybody's going to die of something. There's no way around that. And so again, people are, are, are looking at it. and But then he goes on and he says, whatever who loses, his, who loses their life for me and the gospel will do what? Will save it. So he's talking about a trade here. All of us want to save our lives, right? But all of us are going to lose our lives. Jesus is saying here now, if you follow me and you make a trade with me and you give your life to me and you dedicate your life to the gospel, I'll save your soul. God will save your soul. That's the promise. That's the trade that Jesus is negotiating with Peter and all the people. And guess what? That's what he's talking about with you. Whatever you're holding on to. And the interesting thing is, did you know this? 96% of Americans believe in the afterlife. Isn't that cool? Now, it doesn't matter what religion. I don't care if you're Muslim, Hindu, whatever religion. You, you, whatever religion. Everybody believes there's only 4% that don't have a belief in the afterlife. 96%. And then there's like 5% of Americans believe in hell. Or believe that they're going to hell. So we're Americans, right? We're positive. We're all going to heaven. You know? None of us are going to hell. Okay? Because that's how we are. We're Americans, right? But I would make sure you check that out with what the Bible says versus what the population says. But everybody believes in Everybody believes in the afterlife. And then he goes on, he launches into this teaching, and it's so profound, it's so profound, this teaching that he's about to, to unleash. It couldn't be made up. It couldn't be made up. Look, he says, what good is it for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? I want you to imagine, what if you could live wherever you wanted on this planet? Anywhere. You got it. You want to live there? Oceanside, really mild climate, doesn't change very much, not hot. You could live anywhere in the world. I want you to imagine you having that. You could drive any car you want. Wide open. You could have a relationship and be married to whoever you want. Let's just paint a picture. You have it all. This is what Jesus is saying. You got it all. And you have kids, you know, and all of your kids go to med school. All of them. And they get into the best college there is. You, I'm just saying, paint the picture. What if you could have it all here? And your car doesn't even get dirty. I mean, that's, you've got the best car. It doesn't even get dirty. Your house doesn't get dirty. It's like the best life there is. You don't get sick. You've got it all. But it's going to come to an end. 
Now, I want you to imagine you've got this perfect life, you've got everything, and then you get the opportunity to peer forward and look at that afterlife and come to grips with the fact that I've got all this now, but I'm going to forfeit the afterlife later. Now, let me ask you another question, and this is something that you're going to learn about yourself. What are you willing to give in exchange for your soul? Even if you had it all, even if you had the best life, but you know it's going to end, what are you willing to trade for the afterlife, for an eternity in heaven? I know this about you. Jesus knows this about you. You know what you would give in exchange for heaven? Everything. Everything. If you had that ability to peer into the future and look at the afterlife and gain the perspective, the problem is we don't slow down long enough to figure this out. I did a funeral last Friday. Didn't know the guy. You know, the family invited me, asked me to do it. I found out how he died. He was sitting at a meal, a real nice meal. There was a performance going on. He just dropped dead. Had a massive heart attack right there in the restaurant. Guy would go to the gym. You know, he traveled the world. It sounded like he had a pretty awesome life. People liked him, you know, didn't hear a whole lot about Jesus, though. That was a sad part. That was a hard part. What if you could look over into the future and, and ask yourself, well, what's the tr- what are you willing to trade? I promise you, you would give anything. You would give everything. What, can, what, 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 price, what price tag can you put on your soul on your eternity? Is there a price? No. And so Jesus, he predicted this. And this is coming from somebody not just off the street. Jesus predicted before he died that he would be arrested. He predicted that he would be beaten. Check. He predicted he was going to be abused. Check. He predicted that he was going to be lied about. Check. He predicted that he was going to be crucified. Check. And he predicted that he was going to rise from the dead. Check. All those things. You're not talking about somebody who's pie in the sky. He said, this is how it's going to happen. This is the way it's going to go down. And it went exactly as it did. He came back with holes in his hands and holes in his feet and a hole in his side. And there were 500 witnesses that saw him. This isn't just some bedtime story. I encourage you to weigh in on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And weigh in on what we're talking about today. And I'm saying this for us, brothers and sisters. Because somewhere here in this scale, where are you? And we read on. Here's what I know about you. Your soul is of greater value than anything you have. All your things 
all your things, your soul is of much greater value. I don't care what it is. I know this about you. And I know this about me. And Jesus knows this about both of us. That this, our soul is the most important thing we have going in our lives. But too often we don't give it any, any playtime. Your value of your soul is more than protecting your life. All those insurance programs that you have. Treadmilling. Vitamining. Ensuring, eating right. Jesus is saying, I know you, and now you know you would choose your soul over everything and anything. So today I want to encourage you to weigh in on what Jesus is saying and to make a choice. Because the truth of the matter is, all of us, all of us, we're hanging on to something. We got something going on in our life that we're hanging on to. And we're not letting it go. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to be a follower of mine, you got to be willing to let it go. Look what he says here in verse 38. If any of you are ashamed of, my, of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. In other words, don't be ashamed of following Jesus. Because Jesus is going to be ashamed of you on the most critical day of your existence. You don't want that. You want to be loud and proud of following Jesus. You want people around you to know who is your Savior, who you follow, who you're all about. And not only that, you want them to come along. You want them to know. But you know, some of us, we have that tendency. And Jesus knows, I've had it. I've had it. I confess it. I know it. We get too worried about what people think. In fact, we spend more time dressing up, getting ready, preparing ourselves because it's important to us what people think about us, how we look, how we act, how we talk, than being right with Jesus. We've got to change the value system today. And I want to give you an example of Peter. Now, Peter heard that sermon, but on the day that Jesus was arrested, he was taken away. Peter, Peter said, you know, and you can imagine, here's Peter, and he's hearing all this teaching about giving your life and not being ashamed. And he says, these idiots, I'll do it. I'll give it all. I will lay my life down. And he said it to Jesus. He says, I'll lay my life down for Jesus. If all fall away, I'm in. I'm all in. And then what happened? Jesus told him, he said, Peter, you're a little too overconfident about yourself. I don't think you have a sober estimate of yourself. Guess who has that in common with, with Peter? You and I. You and I think we're over here. Right? You and I think we're all in and yell, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm in with Jesus. Whatever Jesus wants, Jesus gets. Right? You're just like Peter. And guess what? Jesus told Peter, before this day is out, three times, you'll deny me. Jesus is arrested. He's taken to Caiaphas' house. 
And Peter, you know, he's still, he's still in, okay? You've got to give him credit. He didn't run off. He stayed with Jesus, followed Jesus to Caiaphas' house. And he's there in the courtyard, the same place where Jesus was arrested. Now here's where it got real for him. A middle school girl walks up to Peter, you know, like they do. Dude, aren't you? Yes, yes, you, dude, you were with Jesus. And how does he respond? He denied it. So, no, you're mistaken. I'm not, I don't know the man. She finds him later. A middle school girl. A little girl. And Peter, he says it again. Hey, you were with him in Galilee. I recognize you. You were with him. And then she starts to pronounce it to the people, all the people at the fire. He did it again. I don't know who you're talking about. He went from here to here. Because it wasn't convenient. There's a risk. I may lose. And he was still holding on to something. His life. He didn't want to go like Jesus. He didn't want to be all in with Jesus. And then he was called out in the crowd and again he called out and curses on himself. And then it says he remembered the rooster crowed and, and, then, and then it hit him. It struck him and he goes, oh no! I can't believe it. It's true. I did it. I caved in. I'm a consumer. I'm a user. I thought I was in with Jesus, but I'm not. And then the Bible says that he saw Jesus through the hallway corridor of Caiaphas' house and he looked him in the eye right after he denied him three times. And he broke down and he wept. Why did he weep? Because he was heartbroken. He knew something about himself. It was exposed. But you know, Later on, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected from the dead, Jesus circles back around and meets Jesus, meets Peter in Galilee, and he says, Hey, Peter, we've got to talk about that middle school girl thing. Okay? And he goes, Yeah, I know. I'm really sorry, Jesus. I will never do it again. I blew it. I was a consumer. I was hanging on to my life. But now I will give my life. You know, all of us have those experiences. I can remember vividly the experience that I had when I was a missionary in Brazil and, and, and I was on the other side of the planet, far from family, far from friends, and I was all in with Jesus. I was going to be a missionary, and I realized this is hard. I'm in the third world. I don't have a car. I'm not a leader anymore. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just somebody trying to learn a language. We had 14, 15-hour days, no English. Take away your ability to speak. And then learn how to speak like a child and sound stupid and ridiculous all day long for two months. And I remember, I was just like, I don't know, man, this is hard. 
And I worked out a plan that I was going to quit. Thought it all the way through. I'm going to move here. I'm going to get this job. I got connections because I can't do this. But I remember the exact place where it happened. I was walking across this overpass in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I'm looking down at the cars, and I'm looking over the city, 20 million people in this city, and I'm looking around, I'm going, what did Jesus do for me? What am I doing? And I remember, I remember breaking down in tears, saying, what am I doing? I'm holding on to this. And yes, it's hard. But I've got to give my life. Jesus called me to give my life. And I made the decision on that day. Whatever it costs. And from that day forward, God started working in a powerful way. But it marked something really important for me that At some point in your Christian life, I don't care what your agenda is, I don't care what role you're in, it's going to cost you. And so today, I want you to to look at the example of Peter. You know, and somewhere between Peter and, 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 and my example, there you are. What are you going to do? Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. But following Jesus will cost you something. And and today I want to ask you, what's it going to cost you? What's in your right hand? What are you holding on to? What's near and dear to your heart that you're not going to let go of? And as I said before, when people come to Jesus, they're benefit only convenient Christians but he's trying to get us all here and I gotta have an honest talk with each one of us here today where are you in relationship to Jesus' plan and just like it was a very important point when Jesus had this conversation with his apostles I got I got something to say for all of us that are here today and and if you're visiting here with us today, you can take a break. You can start text messaging if you want. I need to speak with the members of our church. And I realize not everybody's here, but I need to have a little conversation, brothers and sisters. Some of you are here, and you know it, and you're hiding. Some of you have taken it all the way back to here. You've been in the church for a long time. How do I know this? Because anything that's a sacrifice for you, like getting here a little early or walking a block or two for parking, um, like that. If something better comes up, something that's more important to you, I don't think I'm going to be here. I mean, you can just go back and look at your attendance record this so far this year. And, and you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. God's not taking attendance. But he is looking at your heart. And your heart is saying, you've got other priorities. Your heart is saying, you're holding on to this. And you're not letting go. Now, there's two sides to this. There's the outward tendance. You know, when we write a check, we give, right? There's things that people see. 
There's other things that people don't see. You know what's come out here in the recent months? There's been people that things have come out in their lives, horrific things, and you go, what? What? So-and-so's been living this life, and they're a member of our church? What? I don't get that. And it wasn't just like this big surprise. It was something that was going on for months. And now their life is imploding. Their marriage is imploding. And I go, wait a second. I thought we were all in with Jesus and then there's this double life. And we're playing a game. You know, and and, and let me just say this. How do you get from here to here to here? You know what moves you from these different stations? Gratitude. When I was in Brazil, I was here. And what got me from here to here was gratitude. I stopped and I asked myself, what was Jesus holding back from me in my moment of need? Not a thing. What are you holding back from Jesus? Is your job more important? Is your career more important? Is your money more important? Is your time more important? What's more important? What are you trying to save? What are you trying to hold on to? And the reason we need to have this talk today, brothers and sisters, is because I believe God wants to do something special with us. He wants to do something special with us this fall and next year. And we're holding out. Jesus is saying, if you want to save your life, which you're going to lose anyway, then give it to me. And I will ensure it will be right. And you'll be saved. Every time I went from here to here, I went to bed at night with peace. You know what I mean? I wasn't worried. I wasn't scared. You know, when I moved from, from, from Sao Paulo to Rio de Janeiro in 1991, it was very dangerous. 60% of our membership in the church that we planted was assaulted at gunpoint or knife point. More than half. It was dangerous. It was scary. There was a State Department warning issued, you know, that you should not travel to Rio de Janeiro. And guess what? We were being sent to be missionaries. And then they changed it. Then they said, you should not travel to Bogota, Colombia. There were bombs going off. There was the, the, the guerrillas were, were invading the city and bombing different points and places. There was terrorism going on. Guess where we got sent? We went from Rio to Mexico City to get trained in Spanish, then to Bogota, Colombia. It was all scary. But it was fun. Because we saw people's lives change. And we saw the gospel explode. We saw married couples who were on the brink, families that were on the brink, brought back together again. We saw the blessing and the benefit Jesus is teaching. And then guess what we saw? We saw these baby Christians. They went from here to here. And then some of them, in just a short amount of time, went from here to here. There were guys leading churches in two years in the faith. Going off to some place and you go, what? How could they do that? They're not even trained yet. Yes, they were trained. They were trained here. 
to give their life to Jesus. And the rest just comes with the time. And so I want to ask you today, you know, how are you doing in your walk with God? Some of you are too busy to get up in the morning and have a quiet time with God. And you will choke out the Holy Spirit for weeks. And then you wonder why you're not feeling it. Why you're powerless to resist temptation. I know it doesn't work for me. Let's close out. We'll go a little long today because this is important. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. With the scripture, it is yet to be seen how God will use a humble church. You know what this lesson is going to test for you? Your humility. Remember I told you in the beginning? It's going to test your humility. Are you going to be humble with God? See, because this isn't a call for our church. This isn't the Lighthouse Church of Christ saying, hey, will you go from here to here to here? This is not the church, the church's request. This is Jesus' request. Please try not to look at me. Try to take your eyes off of me and look at Jesus. When I was in Sao Paulo, I was standing on that overpass. I wasn't looking on the head minister in the Sao Paulo church who was saying, man, you've got to give your whole life to Jesus. I was looking Jesus straight in the eye, realizing, confronting my cowardice, my convenience. It had nothing to do with our church. It was me and Jesus. It was me and God. He gave everything. He changed my whole life. How could I hold out on Him? And what brought me over the other side was humility. And what does God do with humble people? He lifts them up. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Following Jesus will cost you something. Refusing to follow Jesus will cost you. Do you know what will cost you? Everything. Everything. So, are you ready to trade up? Are you ready to trade in whatever you're holding on to today? Because some of you, you know, you were, you were all in with Jesus a long time ago. You know what it means. Some of you are new at this and you've got to learn. Amen. God's going to work with you. But some of you, you know. What's changed about you? Why aren't you all in now? Why have you taken hold of those things that you're going to lose anyway? And so I want to call you to this. In your, in your newsletter you're going to get today, on the back of it, there's going to be some questions that you're going to go over with your small group in a week. We don't want to just leave this at a message. We want to have some eye-to-eye, face-to-face talks and say, okay, brother, sister, where do you see yourself? Hey, I'm going to be in my small group and we're going to talk. And I'm ready to get open. I'm ready to get honest. What am I holding out? I want you to do an honest evaluation about your devotion to Christ and His body. And I want to encourage you to meet with your faith partner before you have your small group meeting and discuss the questions on the newsletter. I want to encourage you to be specific. Don't generalize. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in the yellow bucket. Mm -hmm. 
clearly. I'm in the red bucket. Oh, clearly. Why? Why and what are you holding on to? Get specific and get a plan for how you're going to change it. So we can all launch. Do you know the amazing thing about Peter? He led the church after denying the church. He went from being traitor to leader. Jesus put him in charge. It's because he understands. It's a fight for all of us. And if you're here visiting with us today, I want to encourage you. Hey, you don't have to go in all, day, all in today. I want to encourage you to start out here. Okay? It's okay that you benefit from the teaching of Jesus. But I want you to understand today that the eventual plan is for you to give your life. See, because the question is, if you're not living for something, you have no reason to live. But if you're living for a cause, you're living with a purpose. You're living for someone and something greater than you and material things. Let's close out with a prayer. Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for the privilege that it is to study out Jesus' Word. I pray for You to help us all, God, to turn ourselves in. Whether it's the outward things that we're not giving over to You or the inward things. Help us, God, to turn ourselves over to You. God, we love You and, and please forgive us for the areas that we have not let go. I pray, Father, that you'll do, help us to do it with gratitude and that we'll reflect on even today as we take the communion right now to think about your body that was beaten, that was humiliated for us and that your body was, Jesus' body was crucified and he was bled. Father, please forgive us and wash us and help us to be grateful people. We thank you. We love you. Bless this communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.